play and stay on Washington State's Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. Stand up paddleboarding, hiking, great restaurants and breweries. I'll tell you more about your next vacation destination later in the show. Rachel Bell, and this is Your Last Meal, a show about famous people and the stories behind the foods they love most. Today on the program, the last meal of Gail Simmons, Top Chef judge, food and wine magazine editor, and author of the new cookbook, Bringing It Home. Gail has a charmed life. She gets to travel the world eating and critiquing delicious food. Is it as dreamy a job as it seems for everybody watching because you get to eat delicious food from some of the best chefs in the country? Yes, I would say it is. And we'll learn the history of banoffee pie. Have you heard of this pie? I've never heard of this pie. Producer Aaron, I haven't either. It is allegedly a famous British dessert served in every pub in the country. Uh, And before talking to Gail about it, I'd never heard of it, which is definitely a sign that I need to be watching way more Great British Bake Off. First, we're going to dive into the main event with Gail Simmons. So let's talk about your last meal. Sure. What would your last meal be? So many choices. I know. It's so hard. Well, I guess if it's my last meal, it doesn't have to be healthy. There doesn't need to be vegetables involved. No. So I can just go crazy. And I like to think that the first course would be my favorite pasta because I could just jump in a bowl of pasta anytime, anywhere. Go swimming? Yes. Yes. What kind of pasta are you jumping into? I think it would have to be like a sea urchin pasta with chilies and lemon. Um that to me is like the ultimate decadence, creamy, yeah. delicious, and I love sea urchin. So what kind of pasta? What shape? It'd probably be a long pasta, like a uh-huh. spaghetti or um, a spaghettini, maybe. Uh huh. And I like to slurp my noodles. Me too. There you I go. lived in Japan for a year, uh, and I was like heaven. Like I can slurp your. Yes, and it's make polite as much noise. To slurp. Yes, exactly. That's so great. I love that. So that'd be my first course. Second course. Maybe some sort of, you know, grilled chop, maybe like a tomahawk chop or a porterhouse, some delicious side of beef I can go all carnivore on with mashed potatoes. Isn't it funny? Everybody just wants like these weird carnal comfort foods. Comfort foods. Yeah. I love I love potatoes. Or I actually might even make the potatoes that are in my book because I'm so obsessed with them. They're salt and vinegar smashed potatoes. So they're still sort of in their potato shape, but I smash them with the palm of my with hand. With the skin on. Exactly. I like that. It's a play on the chips. Exactly. Because they're my favorite chip yes. in the world. And then I baste them with butter and malt vinegar. So I would eat those with my steak. I might have a vegetable because I actually like vegetables, but I'd probably have like, you know, fried Brussels sprouts or something like that. And then for dessert, I would definitely do my banoffee pie, my chocolate banoffee pie, which you were looking at before. Yeah. And what is that pie? Is that, what is with that, what is that name? Banoffee pie is a British dessert. It is a banana cream and dolce de leche pie. And it's sort of pretty common in England. That's where I first saw it. And I thought the name was so amazing, banoffee pie. I mean, it just sounds fun, right? Is there coffee in it? There's not. Okay, I think. assume that it was, you know, mm-hmm. like a, what is that Banana called? Banana coffee, you know, yeah. like a mashup. Yeah. It's not. Um, traditionally, it's made with a pie crust, and then you spread dolce de leche all over the bottom. You layer it with raw banana slices, a pile of whipped cream, and then, you know, garnish it with whatever you please, chocolate shavings or something. Uh, My twist is a little bit different. I use a chocolate wafer crust. So it's a really dark chocolatey crust. And then on it, 
I put that beautiful dolce de leche, which is, you know, cooked, caramelized, condensed milk. I layer it with the bananas and the mountain of whipped cream. And then I shave chocolate shavings on top as well as crushed roasted peanuts. So it's crunchy and it's creamy and it's decadent. It looks insane. I mean, it just looks like I want to go swimming in this pie. Yes. If you're in England, is that where would you get a banoffee pie? Is this like a diner food where or is this something I think, people yeah, make I've at home? I've seen it on menus. Yes. Like I've seen it on menus, on dessert menus in, you know, all different sort of levels of restaurants. Mm-hmm. I'd have to do the research on where it actually really came from because dolce de leche is, you know, traditionally Latin American, like Argentinian, and so it's interesting. I don't really know. Well, lucky how for it you, came to be British. That's what I do on this show is I look into the history of the foods that you choose. So this is what we're going to focus on. Perfect. And then you will learn the history when you listen to the episode. I can't wait. I will solve this mystery for you because yeah, the awesome. na- the name doesn't sound British. Yeah, get to the bottom of it for me, Rachel. I will. I did get to the bottom of the banoffee pie mystery. I managed to track down the pie's co-creator, which is always thrilling when you can find these people. His name is Ian Dowding, and he started making banoffee pie in 1972 at a very popular restaurant called The Hungry Monk. The Hungry Monk was located in the East Sussex region of England in a small village called Jevington. The restaurant was in an old 16th century building that had formerly been inhabited by monks, which is why they called it the Hungry Monk. So Ian was the head chef and he collaborated on banoffee pie with the Hungry Monk's owner, whose name is Nigel McKenzie. Nigel has since passed away and the restaurant closed in 2012, but banoffee pie continues to be one of the most popular desserts in England. Ian was shocked that I had never heard of it before because he hears from fans from around the world. For... All of the Americans who don't know, what is banoffee pie? Okay, banoffee pie um, is a, a sweet pastry tart case filled with a soft toffee, which is topped with bananas and then topped with coffee-flavored whipped cream. Banoffee is a portmanteau, which is one of my favorite words. Uh, banoffee is the combination of the words banana toffee, and coffee. And if you Google it, you will see it spelled B-A-N-O-F-F-E-E most of the time. Uh, But that is not the pie's original spelling. When we actually created or invented the name, we thought it was a bit of a cheesy thing to do just by, you know, taking the syllables and putting them together. So we stuck an eye on the end to disguise the fact we might have done that, give it a sort of an Italian sound that we thought it would make it sound a bit more highfalutin than that. And so we always spelt it with an I. Um, but since it's come into general usage, I mean, everybody else spells it with a double E, which is fine. So I think your plan worked because I didn't see it in writing at first. I just heard the name and I totally thought that, ooh, it's like biscotti, banoffee. Banoffee pie just does not seem British to me. This layer of whipped cream and the bananas and the toffee, it all smacks of an American diner pie. So much so that I can practically see the spinning pie case and the waitresses in their blue and white uniforms. Ian says the pie was created in England, but it does have an American origin story. In my very first job, I worked with a guy who used to make a dessert called Blum's coffee toffee pie. Now this guy had worked in America and of course there was a restaurant in Hollywood called Blum's. The thing was he used to make it with the pastry at the base and the toffee and coffee cream and it was very difficult to get 
the toffee right because you know boiling sugar is full of problems and if you boil it too long it goes as hard as rock and if you don't boil it long enough it stays liquid and this uh, guy I worked with always had a lot of difficulty with this uh, dessert and then my sister told me that if you take cans of condensed milk and boil them unopened for three hours in boiling water it will make this delicious soft toffee so I resurrected Blum's coffee toffee pie and started putting it on the menu. Well, the guy I was working for at the time, we thought it was rather good, but he thought it needed something else. We came up with this layer of bananas, by which time, of course, it was, couldn't go on calling it coffee toffee pie, and we couldn't call it coffee toffee banana pie because that was getting a little bit too wordy. And it was the owner of the restaurant who came up with the word banoffee. So if you think about it, it's not that original because all we've done is taken an already um, known dessert and given it our own twist. But if it wasn't for that name, we wouldn't have known it was our idea that was going around the world, which is what it did. I'm reading online that it was Margaret Thatcher's favorite food to cook. I I doubt whether she cooked it herself. (laughs) But we heard stories that it was um, a favorite at number 10, uh, and given at official dinners, and it's also a favourite of the royal family. About once a month, I get uh, a contact from somewhere in the world, sometimes say just saying thank you, which is rather wonderful. Yeah, that must feel really exciting to have a dessert go viral. It's kind of such a niche thing to become famous for a pie. Yeah, I know. And I mean, you know, if you tried to do it, it wouldn't happen. It's just complete serendipity, you know. So can you describe to me where you would find it? Is this something that is in a lot of bakeries? Is it in restaurants? Is it something people mostly make at home? Is there a holiday that you serve it on? Is it like a birthday thing? When do you see the banoffee pie? You see it on nearly every pub menu in, in this country. It's, it's almost universal. You see supermarkets have their own versions of it, deep frozen ones, which are usually disgusting. <laughs> You see lots of products called Banoffee. I mean, I once trawled the internet to find all the things that were given the name Banoffee, and you'd be, you'd be surprised at what, what you can find. I mean, there were uh, tennis shoes, <laughs> there was uh, eye makeup, there was uh, wallpaper even. Anything you can think of was with the name Banoffee. I think just people just people like the name, I think, as well. It's not something, it's not a, it's not a thing you serve on a holiday or a birthday, but it's just... You know, it's that combination of things, bananas, toffee and, and coffee. They're, it's like bacon and eggs, strawberries and cream. It's just something that just goes together. This, the, the, it's greater than the sum of its parts, if you like. Ian is not raking in the dough. No pun intended, actually, which is surprising. I usually intend for those puns to happen. He and Nigel did not have a patent on banoffee pie. So the name and the flavors can be used by anyone. Haagen-Dazs created an ice cream flavor based on banoffee pie, and Nestle has printed the recipe on cans of condensed milk sold in the UK. But it doesn't seem like Seattle is taking advantage. I have never seen banoffee pie, and I've been Googling around for it because I want to try it. It looks incredible, but I cannot find anyone locally making it. So I guess I'm going to have to take on the challenge myself. We are going to take a break, but when we return, Gail shares some behind-the-scenes secrets from Top Chef. There's a lot of footage and a lot of prep that you don't see. Our days are about 14 hours long every day or more. We'll be right back. 
If you're a fan of naturally gorgeous, off-the-beaten-path vacation spots with small-town charm, you're going to want to plan a visit to Washington State's Kitsap Peninsula, where you can grab a scoop of homemade ice cream and stroll around the adorable European seaside village of Palsbo, or walk on the ferry in Seattle and get off in downtown Bainbridge Island. And May is the perfect month to visit Bremerton or Silverdale, where you can get out of the city and into the forest in just 15 minutes for a beautiful hike. Enjoy a farm-to-table meal at Bremerton's Restaurant Lola, a Black-owned business. I really need to make the trip out there for their Creole brunch. And in the morning, stop by Saboteur Bakery for croissants that are so flaky and buttery, you'll think you're in Paris. There's also a gorgeous golf course in the middle of the forest, and there are several naval museums in Bremerton. Go to visitkitsap.com slash yourlastmeal to learn more. That's K-I-T-S-A-P, or you can find a link in the show notes. Play and stay on the Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. Today, my guest is Bravo's top chef judge, Gail Simmons. If you've never seen the show before, it is a cooking competition featuring some of the country's best chefs. Each episode, the chefs are challenged to cook a meal with very little time, with very particular ingredients, in inhospitable environments, to large group of people. Uh, They don't make it easy. And at the end of each episode, one chef is crowned the winner, and as is wont to happen on a reality show, someone is eliminated. Did you have to learn to kind of have the critical persona that you all have on the show when you're judging food? Because, you know, I think instinctually for a lot of people, it's like you don't want to be mean, but you have to say what you really think because somebody has to win, someone has to lose. And also it's entertainment and it's TV. Did that come naturally to you or did you have to kind of push, you know, when you have to be negative about dishes? A little of both, I think. The first few seasons of the show was the like dawn of reality television. And back then, the standard by which all was measured was American Idol. And if you remember the first few seasons of American Idol, there was Simon, the mean one, and Paula, the sweet one. And so every reality show back then had to have those characters on the judges' table. Yeah. So for those first few seasons, I think Bravo felt like they had to pigeonhole all of us into being those characters, the villain and the nice one and the pretty one. and the, You know what I mean? And Who are you? I don't know. I think I was kind of the bitchy one. I think you were too. (laughs) And my friends of my friends would be like, is she really that mean in real life? And everyone would be like, no, but it's so edited. It wasn't me playing that role. Right. It was just the editing. I I told you there's hours and hours of footage and Bravo would edit it down to have us. I mean, we said all those things, but they could be taken out of context. They could be edited and rearranged. And, you know, editing, editing out some of the positivity so that only the negativity is left. It's very easy to do, actually. Yes. It's the magic of television. And so I think in those early years, we were all made out to be a little more severe, a little more kind of caricatures yes. of ourselves. But the network and we all s- soon learned that our audience actually didn't want any of that and that the show really molded into something very unique, which was that our show, unlike other shows at the time. We're not about us. We're not about our voice and us berating people, but that it became a forum to have a really great conversation about food and to understand and respect the talent 
that we had on our show, these professional chefs, we're not talking about amateurs. These are all executive chefs and sous chefs, people whose livelihood is made in this industry. And that's what we started to focus on. And when we were able to all kind of let go of that, then it became very normal for us to all be ourselves. On the show, you see Gail wearing cocktail dresses and tasting food, but a lot of hard work has gotten her where she is today. And if you're wondering, like I was wondering, how do you get Gail's job? Gail tells me how Gail got Gail's job. I worked in kitchens for a while cooking, knowing I never wanted to be a chef, but knowing that it was the only way to get my skills up and get the respect I needed and the knowledge and the language I needed to really be fluent in in kitchen. And after a little while in kitchens, I realized I also was starting to not use my brain in the same way anymore. Um, You know, when you're working as a cook on someone else's line, when you're not the chef, you're really just executing someone else's vision and you're really just cooking in manual sense. You're not the one creating, so to speak. So I was ready to go back to my original plan, which was writing. And through a serendipitous turn of events, I landed a job as the assistant to the food critic at Vogue magazine, uh, Jeffrey Steingarten, who is an extraordinary mad scientist and an incredible writer, Um, a very difficult man to work for, an enormous amount of lessons learned. And I worked for him for two years doing recipe testing and research and editing and working on his second book with him. And after two years there, I was lucky enough to get a job offer from uh, Danielle Boulou, a very famous French chef based in New York. At the time, he was about to open three restaurants. He had to write three books. He needed to expand his very small family-owned company and needed some more staff to do all of these things. And it was not the path that I had intended. It was not a food writing path. It was going to be working in a restaurant group, doing marketing and events and PR. But it was Danielle Ballou, and he's such an extraordinary force in the food world that I just knew you had to take the job, which I did. And I did all those things for three years. I told you it was a long story. (laughs) I just didn't never know how far back to go. No, that's okay. Keep Um, going. (laughs) So I did that for three years, and I'd come to know the people at Food Wine Magazine through my work with Danielle. And one editor that I had befriended asked me if I wanted a new job because he was leaving his job and he thought that I would be great for it and would I be interested. And of course, I jumped at the chance because finally here was my chance to combine all those things I wanted to do at a publication that I admired. I didn't even know what the job was, really. I begged for it. I interviewed. And I've been there for 13 years. Bravo called Food Wine and said, we have this crazy idea for a show And we don't know anything about food, but we want to do a show about the real life of professional chefs, and we want to make it a culinary competition. And if you teach us about food, if we like one of your editors, we will put them on the show to represent the magazine on camera. And they sent me for a screen test, and I got the job. And within a month, I moved to San Francisco to shoot the first season of Top Chef. And I'm still shooting seasons of Top Chef. And 15 seasons later, and five spinoffs, and two books, and a whole bunch of adventures. I'm here. And that was Gail Simmons' last meal. Gail has a brand new cookbook out. It's called Bringing It Home, Favorite Recipes from a Life of Adventurous Eating. And these are recipes from her childhood uh, and things that she's picked up from her travels around the world. It is really a gorgeous cookbook, especially if you're someone like me who likes to lay in bed and just leaf through cookbooks. And it's a cookbook where you basically want to make pretty much every recipe in it. So pick one up. It's the holiday season. It's called Bringing It Home. Thanks to Ian Dowding. Ian is now a semi-retired chef and a teacher at Ashdown Mana Cookery School, and his grown children still insist he makes them banoffee pie. This episode was produced by Aaron Mason and me, and our theme music is by Prom Queen, who has a sweet new album out called Doom Wop. 
Ooh, and get excited because in two weeks, my guest is Lady Bird director and the star of Francis Ha, Greta Gerwig. People might actually think that you're a good cook because when I Googled your name and just the word food, um, all that kept coming up was that you shared a, a Thanksgiving recipe this year, your oh, dad's yeah. stuffing. Yeah. Oh, God, that's got to be part of my last meal, too. Oh, the last meal is just getting more... Carby. Well, that's my <laughs> true love as, yes. as carbon dairies. I'm very excited for this episode. I'm Rachel Bell, and this is Your Last Meal. listening to your last meal you might like watching my new tv show the nosh with rachel bell we just wrapped up season one so there are four tasty episodes ready for you to binge at cascadepbs.org in episode one i convince an east coast skeptic that seattle now has fantastic bagels and in the season finale we go truffle hunting just about an hour outside of seattle episodes are a quick bite just eight and a half minutes long. So grab a snack and cozy up with the nosh. Available anytime, anywhere at cascadepbs.org or find a link in the show notes. 